Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord once again. This morning, if the uh, Lord would bless us, I'd like to begin in Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 17, the latter part of this chapter contains a word that I want to try to look at this morning. If the Lord would bless us for a little while and ask you to continue to pray what time we stand before you. Latter part of Matthew chapter 17, our Lord was asked the question about giving tribute unto Caesar. Now there's another account of this, or possibly a different situation, but the same issue came up over in Matthew chapter 22. And the thing I like about Matthew chapter 22 is the wisdom that Christ expressed when he was asked the question about giving tribute. And his answer to that response was, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God. And I think that was a great amount of wisdom that our Savior brought, and it should be a guide to our lives. And here again, we have here recorded in the 17th chapter about giving of tribute. Now, many of us here, when we read about is it lawful to give tribute or not, many of people would say, well, that just means is it lawful to pay your taxes or not? Well, that's true. That it, it has some semblance. But what the tribute was here in this particular case in the times of the New Testament, the nation of Israel was in bondage to Rome. They had a Roman governor appointed, and they had to pay tribute. And this was very common in the ancient world. For example, in the Old Testament, you find out there's many times when the Assyrians or the Babylonians would come up to the nation of Israel. They'd come up to, Ju uh, to Jerusalem, and they were getting ready to uh, uh, conquer that city, break things and kill people. You know, that's what armies do, uh, break things and kill people. That's what they were getting ready to do. And they said, if you'll pay us a tribute, we won't do that to you. So here the question arose. Here's the Jews that said, do we need to give tribute unto Caesar? And they were wanting an excuse not to have to pay that tribute unto Caesar. And here the Lord responded and performed a miracle that I think is very, very interesting to me. And he answered this question. And in verse 25, Jesus responded to this question. He says, What thinkest, Simon, of whom do the kings of this earth take customer tribute of their own children or of strangers? Peter said, Of strangers. The Lord responded, Then are the children free? So what the Savior says is, you're free, you really shouldn't have to pay tribute. But then notice his response in verse 27. <clears throat> he said, Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that and give unto them for me and thee. Now, I think that's a pretty interesting way that somebody paid their taxes. Uh, you know, now Peter was a fisherman, but Peter was a net fisherman. You know, that they would go out and cast from a ship and cast a net, and 
pull the net through the sea and, and haul in the fish and happen to get caught up in the net. Peter was not a hook fisherman. But here he was told to go fishing. Now, I've done a little bit of fishing in, uh, in earlier days of my life. I baited many a hook, cast many times I cast out into the waters, and there was a few times that I pulled in a fish. But I have never pulled in a catfish or a crappie or a perch or whatever kind of fish I was catching and opened his mouth and found a piece of money. Never. And I've never heard of anybody that did that. There's only one time in the history of the world that I know that that's ever happened. It's right here. So, isn't this an interesting miracle of our Lord? But the particular point that I want to bring out about this, the Lord had made the statement that the children are indeed free and don't have to pay tribute, but he made the sta statement, lest we should offend them. And so he used this miracle to pay tribute in order that the Romans would not be offended at him and Peter. What I would like to speak on this morning is on the subject of being offended and offenses. And the scriptures have a lot to say about being offended and offending others. Now, it seems like in this world today that we live in a world that is very, very easily offended. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, we go out in the world today and there's people that look at a statue that's been standing in a place for a hundred years, and all of a sudden people are offended at that statue. Uh, I read a while back that there was some lady that was reading some history, and if you want my honest opinion about it, what she was trying to do is trying to find something to be offended at. We live in a society where people are trying to be offended. Well, this lady was reading the history and found out that the founder, the namesake of the city of Lubbock had served in the Confederate Army, and so the city of Lubbock needed, she was offended, and the city of Lubbock needed to be renamed. Uh, if you want my honest opinion about that, I think it's garbage, forget about it. But anyhow, that's just my little editorial opinion for the day. People are getting very easily offended in this world today. Everybody's getting offended about something. I mean, you could go out into our public school system, you go into our colleges and universities, and I would think it would be hard to find somebody that hadn't been offended about something. It's an epidemic, isn't it? Now, what's interesting about the idea of offenses and I think there's a good reason that we are seeing so many people that are offended at so many things in this world today. You know, we can go back, and I think the basis of this, if you go back to Proverbs chapter 6, and you begin reading in verse 16, it's going to give us an answer to the question of why so many people in this world are being offended all of a sudden. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. 
Now, I'm not going to read all seven of them. I'm just going to read you the first one. You know what the first one is? A proud look. A proud look. Now, following in that same idea of pride being the problem with some of these uh, offenses, let's go over to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. And we get over into the 12th chapter of the book of Romans that Paul says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Here's the problem with our society today. We have too many people that think more highly of themselves than we ought to be. I remember reading the results of a test that was given. This has been years and years ago. But they did this special math test. <clears throat> and they took children. I don't remember if it was second or third grade or whatever it was. And they took these children from all over the world. All nations, Japan, Russia, United States, Mexico, all these different nations. And they gave them all the same test. Of course, they were translated into their own language. They gave all of them the same test. And then after the test, they interviewed each child who had taken the test and asked them what they thought, how they had thought they had done about that test. And it came back that the children from the United States thought that they had done the best out of all of the 50-something nations that had taken the test. You know how they'd actually done? 30th. Now, I'm not picking on our second graders or third graders. I'm not even picking on the United States. What I'm saying is there's a problem with all mankind, no matter what nation you're in that we have a problem with pride. And our pride has become rampant in this nation. And that's the reason we have people being offended. So let's dig a little bit more what the scriptures have to say about pride. So let's turn over to Matthew, not pride, let's talk about offended. Enough on pride. Now let's, talk, let's go to Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> and the Lord was speaking here, and I want to begin in verse 7. And the Lord said here, ye hypocrites. Uh, oh, and by the way, if you ever get the idea that I'm not being nice when I'm trying to preach the gospel, you know, that I'm trying to be a little bit rough and gruff, and, and the things that I bring forth may be a little bit hurtful. I'm just following Christ's example. I mean, you're not supposed to call the people you're preaching to hypocrites, are you? I mean, that's not being nice. That's, that's not being politically correct. Our Savior wasn't politically correct. So he said, ye hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. So here he was preaching. He got very uh, plain with them and taught them that they were indeed hypocrites, that they weren't worshiping and serving God like they ought to. 
And then the multitude, his disciples, came to him. And notice what his disciples told him in verse 12. He says, disciples came and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So when the Pharisees heard that they were hypocrites, they were offended. No one asked you a question. This is a real easy question. Don't get nervous. Here's the question. Christ had preached to the Pharisees. Was he right or were the Pharisees right? Who are you going to choose? Who's right, Christ or the Pharisees? Well, that's a simple question, isn't it? The Pharisees. Uh, Christ was right. <laughs> All right? I've got to be careful. Now, Christ was right. So here's my point. Just because you're offended or just because somebody else is offended doesn't mean they're right. I mean, here Christ was preaching and people were offended. They were wrong. Let me give you another example. Let's go over to John chapter 6. <clears throat> and I've been saying this a lot in the last month or so, but I think all primitive Baptists need to spend lots of time over in John chapter 6. There's a lot of good teaching in John chapter 6. Christ taught down there in verse 37 of John 6, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast down. He said in verse 44, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up again the last day. None of us should be offended at any of those words, should we? I mean, we ought to all rejoice in those words. And then Christ is teaching here that, verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. And he taught on this bread of life for a little while. And as he came to the end of this, he said that, uh, for verse 56, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Talking about we have to live by the word of God. We have to, are living with it being in Christ. And after he preached this wonderful message, people were offended. Look what the Lord said down in verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it. Now beforehand, it was the Pharisees that were offended. And now here, it's his disciples that are offended. He said, does this offend you? Now again, I'll ask the question. Who was right? Was Christ in the right? Or was his disciples right in being offended? It was Christ that was right. So again, just because somebody is offended doesn't mean that they're right. Now let me stop right here at this point before I go any further and, and looking what the Bible has to say about being offended. I should not seek and it should not be my goal to go out and offend people. We should be as kind and as unoffensive as possible. But if the truth hurts, the truth hurts because it's the truth sometimes. Now, I want to turn back to Matthew chapter 18. And let's look a little bit more deeply about being offended. Now, if you look up a definition of the word offend, you can look in Strong's 
a concordance, who's a Bible scholar, a Hebrew and Greek scholar. You can even go to the Oxford Dictionary, and it's going to tell you that offend means to cause to offend, to cause to transgress, to transgress, or to vex, annoy, or displease. Now, most of the time when we talk about offending people, it means we're annoying them or displeasing them. But that's not the primary use of the term offend in the scriptures. We go here to Matthew chapter 18. Now, I'm going to start somewhere here, something that's very familiar with us, and I'm going to go on and explain the latter part of this chapter and then come back to this verse. <clears throat> in verse 3 of chapter 18 of Matthew, Christ said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child of my name receiveth me. But then notice, here's our word. But who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and they were drowned in the depth of the sea. I changed my mind. I'm going to talk about this right now. Then we'll get on to the rest of the chapter. As I remember reading this verse years and years ago, I thought, man, this is severe punishment for making a child unhappy. I mean, if I go tell my child to clean their room and they get offended, it'd been better for me that I was to be drowned in the sea and die. That's kind of severe, isn't it? It's not talking about hurting their precious little feelings. I mean, all of us who have raised children knows that your children's precious little feelings are going to get hurt from time to time, aren't they? I mean, that's just part of growing up. Our feelings are going to get hurt. And some of us haven't got over the fact that our feelings get hurt a lot. We need to grow up. Now, he's not talking about just hurting their little feelings. What he's talking about when he talks about offending, you remember one of the definitions of offend that I gave? Causing to offend. That's what he's talking about. When you cause a little one, whether it's a physical, literal, young one in age, or it's one that's young in the church, one that's young in the faith, if you cause one of them to offend, and I might say to make it easier, to go out and sin, that's where the offense comes in. That's where the problem comes in. That's when the penalty should be. It'd be better for you to be drowned in the sea. Now, here's my proof of that. Let's, let's keep reading. He said in verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs that offenses come, but woe to the man that by whom the offense cometh. Now, notice this language. Here's some language that you may have never really understood. Wherefore? If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them thence from thee. 
For it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. So what's he talking about? I mean, how many of you have ever looked down at your hand and said, you offend me? How many of you have ever looked at your foot and said, you offend me? Well, if that's the case, you better go cut it off. Is that what it's, was that what it's teaching? No. That's not what it's teaching. If it's your hand that's causing you to sin, you need to stop whatever that's doing. If it's your feet that's leading you to walk into sin, you need to stop that. Now let me give you an example. Here's a I've used this example another time. Uh, probably used it here several times. But I remember a story, an occasion. This is supposedly a true event. But there was a man who had a sin. And his sin was that he was an alcoholic. And he realized his problems, and he started going to, to the AA meetings, and he had a, a, a partner and all of that. And when this partner had, you know, when he felt weak and tempted, he would call his partner and talk to him and try to get encouragement and strength so he would stay out of that way of, of being an alcoholic. Well, then it come to find out that this man would start to have problems and he started drift, drifting back in to having these problems of drinking and drunkenness. And so he called his friend. His friend came over and said, well, what's causing this problem? He says, well, I can't help it, but I do pretty good, but on my way to work, I drive by a liquor store. And on the way home from work, I drive by that same liquor store, and if something goes wrong when I drive by that liquor store, if I'm downcast, I just have to pull in and get something to drink. So the man that was helping him out scratched his head and looked at it, and he he was aware of the address of where this liquor store was. He said, no, wait a minute. You have to go three miles out of your way to go buy that liquor store on the way to work. So here's the point. If you've got a problem, go the way to avoid it. In fact, what this is teaching us, if the straight way to work, you go by that liquor store, and the way to avoid it is go three miles out of the way. Go three miles out of the way. Now, I don't know what your problem is. We all have problems. But what the Lord is teaching us here is there's something that's going to bring you to causing sin. Go the other way. Avoid it. You know what your problems are. You know what it is. Avoid it. That's what he's talking about. If thy hand makes thee to offend, cut it off. I mean, whatever your problem is, avoid those temptations. You know, avoid them. You know, if you have a problem with sitting down at the TV and watching 73 hours of TV in a row, watching stuff you oughtn't to watch, don't turn it on. You know, avoid it. That's what he's talking about, bringing offenses. Don't offend God by sin. Avoid that. And so you see that statement he made about offending the little ones. 
You realize how important that is? It's bad enough if we cause ourselves to sin. But what if something that I do or something that I say causes one of you here in this room this morning to sin? Who gets the most blame for that? You know, if, if I say something, teach something, that causes Brother Mo to go out and sin, and Brother Mo goes out and sins, in God's eyes, who gets the greater blame, Brother Mo or me? It's me. We're not to cause our brothers or sisters to sin. Isn't that an important concept to keep in our minds as we go through this life today? Now, let's turn over to Romans chapter 14. And I'm not going to go through all of this chapter in the interest of time. <clears throat> but here in Romans chapter 14, the great discussion in this whole chapter revolves around eating of meat. And just so you know, I'm not a vegetarian. Okay? If I was a vegetarian, I'd probably already be in, the, in a cemetery somewhere. Okay? You know... If, if, uh, if eating meat was illegal, I would be in jail by noon, okay? You know, I'm not promoting that. But there was a big discussion about eating meat. But it wasn't any meat that was a problem. It was the meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And there were some of the early Christians that would not eat that meat that was sacrificed to idols because they say even though it was cheaper, you could buy it cheap, they saying that it's not right, it was offered to idols, I'm not going to partake of something that was offered to an idol. Now what Paul is actually saying is, those idols are nothing but wood and metal. Now, they're nothing. There's no other gods. Uh, our God is the only God. You know, if something's sacrificed to them, it's just ridiculousness. You know, it's just a waste of time. There's nothing wrong with that meat. But there were some people who was getting upset about that. So when Paul was coming... Uh, in here, he said in verse 20, For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So you know what Paul is saying? If I eat meat that was offered to an idol, and I know that that idol was nothing, and I know there's nothing been changed about that meat, it's all come from God, and I can eat it with a clear conscience, I'll eat it. But what Paul is teaching, if there's a brother who is weak and his conscience is offended by that meat, he oughtn't to eat it. I mean, if it offends his conscience to eat it, he shouldn't. Now, let me give you an example. And I, uh, again, I think this is uh, uh, quite painful for me to give this example to you. Um, there are those here in this room that probably know that that uh, we have a lot of holidays in this, in this nation that we live in today, and there are very few of them that I celebrate. I'm not known for my holiday cheer, okay? Now, let me give you two examples uh, on a particular holiday that's coming up toward the end of December, okay? Now, I know some people, very good, faithful, godly people, that have the attitude that December the 25th is the day that the Lord was born. Jesus Christ was born on December 25th, 
and we are going to honor him and serve him by celebrating his birth. And they celebrate that day because they want to worship their God and serve their God the way their conscience tells them to. On the other hand, I know some people that are godly people that say, no, December 25th is not the day the Lord was born. In fact, that's nothing but a pagan holiday. And I'm not going to serve it because if I served, I would be serving some false god in the past. You know, some of these pagan gods. And so in order that I might please and honor God, I'm not going to celebrate that day. Now, both of these groups of people are totally different sides of the spectrum, aren't they? Did you notice that both of those stories and examples ended up in the same way? Both people did it for the same reason. They were both serving God, weren't they? So if I'm of the opinion that that particular day is a pagan holiday, you know what I shouldn't do? Celebrate it as a pagan holiday. Let me give you another example of how we ought to be mindful of one another. <clears throat> a number of years ago, my bride and I were living in a house south of town. And every morning, my bride would go down to the local convenience store that was just two miles away. It was the closest business open. And buy a soft drink. Now, here's a problem with buying at that particular location. That convenience store... You know what the name of it was? Now, she walked out of the room, so she can't hear this. Bernard's Liquor Store. I mean, they sold barbecue sandwiches that were great, but it was a liquor store. She wasn't going there to buy liquor, never did. But there was somebody in the congregation that got upset that she was going to a liquor store every day. So you know what she did? Every day, she drove an extra two miles to get to the town and country convenience store to buy her Coke there. You know why she did that? To go the extra mile to keep from offending somebody. Now, I never did mention to this person who was offended but was now okay that town and country liquor store, uh, town and country sold more beer than the liquor store did. Never brought that up. But she was fine and happy with it. You know, we need to be careful about offending our brothers and sisters as well as not causing them to be offended. Okay, time's getting away, so let me move on. I want to go to Matthew chapter 13 very quickly. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to move to a different aspect of being offended. We've looked at being offended means causing somebody to sin and to offend. Now, here we're going to look at something else, how people can be offended. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. And I'm not going to go into that, but you remember the parable of the sower? There was some of that seed that was fell by the wayside. There was some of the uh, some of that seed that was uh, upon, let me start over. Some fell in the stony places. Uh, there were some that fell uh, and the birds came and got it. There were some that what fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. There were some that fell into good ground. Now, when the, our Savior was explaining this parable, and I'm not going to go into all the other ones, <clears throat> but I want to look in the one in verse 20. It says, He that received the seed into the stony places, 
The same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulations or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. You know what's he talking about? Imagine, if you will, somebody out in the world that comes into our church here. And he's never heard the gospel of grace as it's preached from this pulpit. He's never heard the joys of salvation is by grace alone. And he receives it joyfully. And he's wants to serve the Lord with his whole heart, whole mind, and he does everything he needs to do. And then he has a car wreck, and then he loses his job. And he suffers some problems in life. And all of a sudden, we don't see him anymore. And I hate to make mention this, but I have seen this a lot. What happened? A problem arose, and things serving God weren't like he expected. Sometimes we get the idea that if we join the church and we follow God like we ought to, we'll never have another problem. Be happiness and joy the rest of our days. It ain't like that. Uh, God doesn't promise blue skies and rose gardens every day. And sometimes we get offended when we have to go through problems. You know, the Savior told us back over in Matthew chapter 26, he told us his disciples that they would be offended by him. And he was telling this, this is verse 31, he says, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. What's our Savior talking about when he tells them that they're going to be offended? Well, let me give you another example from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Here's a time of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, is being, uh, he's in prison. King Herod imprisoned him. You know why John the Baptist was in prison? Well, I have two conflicting things about this, but here's, here's the most important. He preached the truth. He went to King Herod. And probably John was of that family. And he said, it's not lawful for ye to marry that woman you're getting ready to marry, you'll be committing adultery. He was getting ready to marry uh, a sister-in-law. He said, it's not lawful for you to do that. He was cast into prison. We know later on he was beheaded, and I'm going to kind of maybe not go out on a limb here, but you know why John the Baptist was beheaded? Because of a dance. 
If you don't think dancing causes bad things, I beg to differ with you. Now, before John was beheaded, here he was in prison. <clears throat> John the Baptist was in prison. Here's the one who baptized Christ, a cousin of Christ. And while he was in prison, he sent a message to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the message was, are you he that should come or do we look for another? And the Lord responded to that and he told those messengers to go back to John and show him. And he said here, it recorded for us in verse 5, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. That's what they were to go back and tell John. But we usually stop right there when we're looking at that account. We usually don't look at verse 6. And I think verse 6 is very important to understanding what, God, what John was going through. Here was the one who was the cousin of Christ, six months older than Christ. Here was the one who was at the baptism of Christ, pointed out Christ coming and says, here is the land that taketh away the sin of the world. And now he's in prison. And the last part of this response of Christ to the message sent to Jesus was these, to, to sent to John the Baptist was these. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now here's what offended means in this case. Imagine you're John the Baptist and you're in prison. And here you remember baptizing your cousin. You remember baptizing the one that the Holy Ghost has told you is the Savior, Jesus the Messiah. And he is out preaching the gospel now, and his ministry is rising. And you're John the Baptist, and you know, here's the Messiah. So if you're John the Baptist sitting in prison, you say, okay, here's my cousin. Here's the Messiah. He knows all about me. He knows exactly where I am. He knows I'm in prison. And perhaps... Since he's Messiah knows my problem that I'm in prison for preaching the truth, maybe he'll just speak a word and Herod will fall over dead. Or maybe he'll speak to Herod and have me released. Or perhaps he'll just cause miraculously all the gates of this prison to be open. Can you imagine a lot of those things went through his mind? What that the Messiah should have done? Think in your own mind what you've been doing thinking what Jesus Christ should have done if you had been in John the Baptist's seat. But Christ didn't do any of those things. And so John the Baptist, I believe, was offended. And he was offended at Christ. And he was offended because Christ did not respond like he thought he ought to. He said, well, why in the world is that important? 
Does that make any difference to me in my life today? It makes a world of difference in your life today. Because you see, when we're talking about offenses, every one of us in this room today is offended at God. And if you're not offended at God today, you probably was yesterday. Or maybe it was last week or last year. Or maybe it's going to be next week. What am I talking about? The same thing that John the Baptist experienced. You and I have it in our minds how God should act, don't we? How God should react. I can give you the name of a man that lived not too far from here. And this particular man claims to be an atheist. He claims that God does not exist. And you know why? Because he's had two daughters die. And he says, God would not allow my daughters to die. He said, if there was a God, my daughters would still be alive. You know what happened? He was offended at God. God did not react in the way that he thought that a God would react. Can you look at some examples in your life? If God really existed, if God loved me, if God is one of my children, then my business would have been successful. Or might I say, well, I would have got that raise because I'm more godly than any of my coworkers. I should have got that raise and that promotion. Everybody ought to like me because I'm such a godly person. If God existed, he would not allow my mother to die or my father to get cancer or my wife to die or my husband to get sick with cancer. You see, whenever we question why God is allowing something, you know what we're doing? We're being offended in God. Now, when we get to that point, remember how we started out? When Christ said something and the Pharisees disagreed and were offended, who was right? Christ was. So when we get offended at God, because he doesn't react like we think he ought to, who's right? It's God, isn't it? You say, well, why does God allow these things to happen? I don't know. His ways are not our ways. I don't know why he's allowed cancer to kill people or why diabetes or heart attacks or all these things happen. I don't know. I can tell you some of the things lead up to them, and I can tell you some of the things that follow them, but I can't tell you why God allows them. But I can tell you this. Whatever God does is right and holy and perfect. We may not understand it here, but we'll understand it in heaven. Some people say, why did God allow a murderer to kill my friend or my daughter or my husband or my wife? Why did God allow that murder to occur? I don't know, I don't know but I know God hates death and he hates murder. You know how come I know he hates death? And how come he hates all these sins? You know, if God existed, why didn't he? Why does he let all these horrible sins 
exist. I don't know, but I know that he hates them. You say, well, how do you know that God hates death? How do you know that God hates sin? Because my Savior, my God came to this earth and he died on the cross for sins. He died on the cross to take away our offenses. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us strive diligently to look unto God, the one who is just and holy and is right in all things. And let us not ever be guilty of being offended in God. May God bless you.